And now, The Low Post. Welcome to The Low Post Podcast live from an undisclosed location. Ian Begley from SNY. Ian, I did a segment with Kevin Pelton the other day about the most uh, interesting under-the-radar off-season teams or teams that we just hadn't talked about at all. And I was kind of hoping he would pick the Knicks. And he didn't pick the Knicks. He picked the Cavs. And I picked the Bucks. But I wanted to save the Knicks in reserve because I feel like they, they were very quiet. Um, they traded Obi Toppin to the Pacers, which we'll talk about, uh, leaving a, a hole at backup power forward and cutting bait on a heralded CAA draft prospect, sending him to an Eastern Conference rival, a real Knicks rival, actually. Um, they have yet to really um, get all that serious or deep into extension talks with Emmanuel quickly. I don't think that could come. Um, Josh Hart opted in and pointedly has not signed his contract extension yet. Um, that, I assume, will be coming. And they signed Dante DiVincenzo. So by Knicks standards, it's been kind of like a, a little bit quiet, a lot of continuity. Um, we'll see where Josh Hart's contract comes in, but it'll be a palatable number for sure for a guy who just lit the lit the city on fire when he came. DiVincenzo's deal is a nice deal. I've always been a fan of his game, and he kind of put it all together with the Warriors. Um, it seems like uh, it's going to be con- continuity. Slow build, keep our chips, uh, all our trade chips intact to to find another star if and when um, that 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 becomes available. And and a Knicks fan could look at that and be like, uh, in another universe, a Knicks fan could look at all that and say, man, we're really kind of just spinning our wheels. But I think last season was so good, and winning a playoff series was massive for them for buying time, I think, for this sort of vision. Because if they had lost like they had to Atlanta two years ago, it would have been like, oh, man, here we are again with this like fool's gold regular season. The combination of a legit semi-dominant playoff series win and Brunson in the regular season and then even more so in the playoffs, cementing himself as a legit all-star level player, I think has bought this team all sorts of time with the fans, within the league. Um, that doesn't mean they're done, but I, I just kind of wanted to talk about them because they've been quiet by Nick's standards in the summer, right? Yeah, I, I would agree with you in terms of this past season buying Leon Rose and his group some time. I think, you know, coming into this past year, I don't think they had the, the gift of time. I think they had to show something tangible this past season based on how the prior year went and based on what they had to do to create the cap space to get Jalen Brunson. So this thing had to work in my mind, and it did. We all saw how it played out, 47 wins. I think surpassing all rational expectations for this team last year. And then the playoff series win, as you mentioned. So certainly I think they've bought themselves some time. I think, Zach, you take, let's say, the Knicks out of the equation. Just say this is Team X coming off of a 47-win season, winning a playoff series after where they'd been the past decade plus. And you would say, oh, of course, you know, stay the course, be patient, maybe a move or two on the margins, and then wait for that big move. And I think, you know, the Knicks, it's different because of the decade, two decades, two plus decades of ineptitude. 
of head scratching moves, of on and off the court dramas, of you know this franchise kind of shooting itself in the foot again and again. I think there are fans who see this offseason as a disappointment because they wanted to see this group take a big swing. They felt like this was the time to go ahead and make a big move, uh, take a step forward. But again, I think if you take the the recent history maybe out of it and also the Knicks out of the equation, you look at this just as Team X, it makes all the sense in the world for them to do what they did this offseason. And it was fitting that um, they upended Donovan Mitchell's calves in the first round because one of the things that Brunson, and look, Brunson is undersized. He's never going to be a plus defender. He's a good passer creator, but not a great one because he likes to play with the ball and do his ISO scoring. But he's really effing good at that stuff. And I think one of the things that his emergence as, yeah, he's probably not as good as Donovan Mitchell, but he's not, he, he, if he plays like he did last season and carries that playoff performances over, he's not that, that far away to the point that, okay, we now reorient, if we even had to reorient our pursuit of star X all the way to big wings and bigs. Like we're, we're, we can cobble together a two guard spot between Grimes and Barrett and Barrett's playoff performance. I think maybe has kind of been forgotten because it seems like ages ago now that the Knicks lost in the second round. But after those first two games against Cleveland, RJ Barrett played well in the playoffs. And I thought that was another kind of buying time thing. Okay. Like maybe Julius Randall's kind of not over the playoff thing. We'll talk about that. But RJ Barrett, showed out and I, I think they they can reorient that pursuit toward those positions completely but I don't think they have to rush it like if you look at the Eastian like Milwaukee's Milwaukee Boston changed its team around but they're Boston given the volatility in Philadelphia and the volatility in Miami held up because of these two star guards that are unhappy and want out Depending on on a whole, all that falls, like Miami's already lost two starters off its playoff team. There's like a little void, like for the kind of on paper number three spot in the East between, depending on what those teams do, uh, Cleveland and New York are right there. Like they're, if this, if this stuff breaks right for them, they could be in a good position in a regular season. I can, I can easily see that. Uh, Zach, what would you say though, if James Harden returned to Philly and the Heat eventually got Damian Lillard, would you still put the Knicks as currently constituted in that real estate? Uh, no, not as, and not for playoff equity. Um, you know, we know what Dame is, and, and the Heat will have to sacrifice some level of depth if they are able to pull off the transaction, and they've already sacrificed mean, like two starters from their playoff team. And Philly, I guess the wild card for that will be We've seen what happens when James Harden doesn't want to be in a situation. Um, right. He has dogged it multiple times. Is he actually going to do that on an expiring contract with his status in the league as a no-brainer max star having clearly taken a hit to the point that he's not a no-brainer max star and he can't do whatever he wants and know that the four-year max deal is on the other side? Mm -hmm. I, I don't – look, I mean, I saw Ramona said this on TV yesterday. I've heard the same thing, like – if you talk to people around him, he's not backing down. Uh, he wants out of Philadelphia. I don't know that that's act like when push comes to shove and it's September and he's staring down the barrel of a lost season and maybe some lost money. You know, it's easy to posture now. It's harder to posture in September. But yeah, I but but even if I don't think the Knicks are in that real estate, 
Like I think they're in very good real estate. Yeah. And should should could should whatever be a top six team that is one hot playoff series, one you know good matchup away from again being in the second round and having a puncher's chance. I mean, this is a team that's played Boston extraordinarily well in the regular season, just as a for instance. Right. And I think you talk about the patient Zach, and obviously. Damian Lillard is there for the taking if you're New York and you you think you can put together the best package. Uh, maybe you're a little worried because he wants to go to Miami. Would he be happy in New York? But regardless, you could put together a strong package for Damian Lillard. You could put together a strong package for James Harden. And I was told as recently as last week that the, the Knicks had kind of a line that they weren't interested in crossing. And I think maybe to a degree that's impacted the trade market for both Portland and Philly, because if the Knicks get in there, I think the price automatically gets raised. But also at Carl Anthony Towns, I mean, there were talks between the Timberwolves and other teams before the draft and Towns' name came up. I don't know um, how aggressive the Timberwolves were with Towns, if at all, but the Knicks, obviously they could have gone there as well. And they clearly have decided not to go there at this point. So they've shown restraint uh, in the trade market. I think if OG Ananobi becomes available again, that's a name that they would circle back on. We both know how interested they were at the trade deadline. But by and large, yes, they have they have operated cautiously. And that's been a theme, really, of Leon Rose's regime and approach here. The, the cautious incremental build. At some point, we know they have to take that big swing. But... I don't see where they had missed an opportunity yet this offseason. Well, let's talk about um, some of those names. Harden, from what I had heard, you said draw a line. I heard the line was like um, not anywhere near what the Philadelphia 76ers would actually do, given Daryl Morey's history of like what he's going to want in trades. Um, and, and beyond that, like I think the Knicks look at Fournier's contract as – not a throw-in, but in this hard cap-ish um, fiscal care environment as a really valuable potential expiring contract uh, yes. with the $19 million club op- team option at the end of it. Um, it's not a throw-in to them. So I don't – I'd never sense real – I mean, if the Harden price got low enough, it's sort of like, hey, why not? Let's have some fun and see – get a, a million lefties who like to dribble the ball all the time. <laughs> um, Dame – I just keep going back to the Brunson thing. Like Brunson is what, seven years younger and not as good now, but like he had a legit third team, all NBA case this year. Like it was, it was a close call and that means he was one of the six to 10 to 12, whatever best guards in the NBA. I just personally don't see a point in throwing a whole bunch of my draft equity to get another point guard. Are they actually, are they actually in this or are they just kind of like rubbernecking and just sort of seeing what's going on? I, I haven't heard that they're in it in a significant way at all. I, I think probably all uh, 28 teams outside of Portland and Miami have been at least on the periphery in terms of a third or fourth team in this potential Damian Lillard deal. So I'm sure the Knicks have poked around on that. But in regards to a real offer on Damian Lillard or really being in that conversation, I have not heard that they are. And uh, I think I've heard some of the thoughts that you just mentioned about the fit with Jalen Brunson from some people in the organization. And so uh, it just leads me to believe that they won't be there in a significant way on Lillard. And I think you hit it, Zach, earlier when you said because of what Jalen Brunson did last year, you kind of reorient everything and you orient 
building around him or, or with him, obviously, and, and highly in your thought process. So you're looking at wings and you're looking at bigs. I would be surprised if they brought in a top player via trade in the backcourt. I mean, we'll see what happens with Jalen Brown in Boston. I have been told over and over that he will sign some version of the Supermax um, soon-ish. It has not been signed yet, but I expect it to be still. Despite this ongoing delay, every day I get a little more like, hmm, that's interesting. That's Do you name. think that's a Lillard thing with the delay there, or do you think it's unrelated to Lillard? Look, we're still in like mid-July, so there's all sorts of whispers and posturing and rumor-mongering and all that. From everything I've heard, it's a bells and whistles on the Supermax thing, like mm-hmm. player options, trade kickers, all that kind of stuff. But I have said over and over, like, I don't love the Jalen Brown for Damian Lillard, like, one-for-one one deal, like, for either team. I don't I don't really love it that much. But um, so that's just my opinion. Cat, I find myself torn on Cat, Ian. I can't quite quit Cat. I can't quite quit Cat. <laughs> that's a tongue twister. Um, you and uh, Tim Connolly both, I guess. Well, I'm not sure really how serious Minnesota was, if at all. Um, but my reporting is probably different from yours. We all hear different things. Like, I don't really know what happened with Cat um, around the draft. Uh, you know, we all can just look at the cap sheet and look at how many big men they have and look at their level of team success last year and understand that, like, this is really their only way out of the Gobert trade is tr- trading Cat. Right. Um, we've been saying that since, the, like, five minutes after the Gobert trade happened. <laughs> um, right. I can't I can't quit him because of the offensive skill set is just so prodigious. He did finish the playoffs in fairly strong form in Minnesota's last three games after after some stinkos in the first two games, some very cat-like stinkos where it's like, did he have the ball? Why doesn't he ever have the ball? Why did he foul out again? Why is he always fouling out? Maybe he turned like a little bit of a playoff corner. I also do feel like he's going to be if and when he gets traded, potential change of scenery, get the Minnesota baggage, you know, off his back, um, get him with a guard who maybe is a better fit for him. I think there's some change of scenery potential on him. I, on the other hand, every time he opens his mouth on a podcast, I'm like, oh my God, can you just, can you just, can you start denying the appearances? Just don't go on the podcasts. Um, and, and the playoff track record is what it is. The defense is what it is. And I said to you earlier on a podcast a few months ago, like, I, I'm not sure he's the guy I would throw all my chips in for. And now he's he's sort of like, if I'm the Knicks, he's the one that I'm like, who's better than him that might be coming down the pike? That's that He's the benchmark. And so I guess that means I'm still not putting all my chips in for him quite yet. And I want to see what pops up. Is, is that fair? Or, or are they like gung-ho for him or what? So what I had heard was the, the the salary. Some people felt that the salary was just was too onerous. At least at this point, this is probably a couple of weeks ago. At this point, that they felt that the salary was was going to really hurt them later in his deal. But listen, I mean, I think obviously this dynamic can change at the drop of a dime. I do, I do think though that if they could, if they loved the idea of Towns right now, they could have had him. That's just my kind of read on the landscape in general. So I think that tells you that 
you know, they're not, they don't see him as the, the ultimate uh, fix for everything or the player uh, to take them to the next step. No questions asked I think there are questions there, but I think you have to see now, even if you're slightly interested in Carl Towns, you have to see where this develops heading into the trade deadline, because, you know, if Minnesota struggles, I think they're almost kind of backed into a corner at the point where they have to make a big move, whether at the deadline or at the end of the season, because how much longer can you let the, you know, Towns go bare and now Nas Reed kind of experiment, play out uh, without success? Is it fair to say that the Knicks are watching Philadelphia to see how this sorts itself out? I have said before that if I'm not ready to throw my chips in for Towns, one of the reasons I'm not ready to throw my chips in for Towns is the big dude who just won MVP in Philadelphia in a month, in two months, in six months, might be looking around and said, wait, what What did we get for James Harden? Like, he's gone. Ben Simmons is gone. Markel Fultz never was really here. What happened? Like, all the stuff. I mean, if you retraced everything that's happened around Joel Embiid, it's, like, absolutely incredible. But is it fair to say the Knicks are at least – have a close eye on that situation. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm sure they're not the only team that's keeping an eye on that situation. Um, you have the organic ties, obviously, Leon Rose, former CA agent, uh, Joel Embiid's agent. And so there's that organic relationship. Uh, you know, if Embiid gets upset, unhappy, uh, softly demands a trade or anything above that, I'm sure the Knicks will be right there. The question I have, though, Zach, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts, do you think Daryl Morey would trade Embiid in his division to New York if he had, if he felt like he had to make a deal. Don't you think he would send him elsewhere? I haven't thought about that because I've known Daryl a long time. I'm not sure he cares about stuff like that. I think it mm. would just be like the best deal. Give me the best deal. If mm. you can get me the best deal, I don't really care. Um, Interesting. Could, can the Knicks get him the best deal? I mean, the Knicks have all their own picks, all their own swaps. They they, they just traded a potential interesting young player to the Pacers. Um, they have a bunch of extra picks, but if you look at them, they're just eh. Like the Dallas pick we all know about, it's top 10 protected in the next two years. Let's say they get it this year. So it could be, if things go right, it could be 11, 12, 13, 14. If things go badly for the Knicks, it could be 20, 22, 24. Yeah. Detroit is top 18, top 13, top 11, top 9. Could just turn into seconds. Who knows? Could, But its ceiling is 10. I mean, by definition, its ceiling is 10. Washington, top 12, top 10, top 8 becomes seconds. So its ceiling is 9. So none of these picks have the sexy, unprotected upside, and they're attached, two of them, to bad teams where it's like, are we going to get this pick? If when? They have some good seconds, including a second from Detroit this coming season, which is a good pick. Um and and you know they've got good players on their team it's it's a it's a good amount of trade ammo but it's not it's it's not thunder level and um even nets level and and certainly jazz level but it's good and they're new york right they don't necessarily need to be the best the best cuz they're good and they're new york and they have an incumbent star so they can afford to be more aggressive than some of these other teams right yeah i think you certainly could put together an aggressive offer for Embiid and and You've said it in the past, and it's no different than today. I think he's the most important piece in this Harden, Daryl Morey, Clippers, who wherever Harden goes, dynamic. 
That's the mo- he's the most important piece of it uh, for the reasons that we're talking about now. That that's uh, what I said. That's what I said yeah. on TV the day we did our free agency special. And we we talked about Harden, 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 and I said, guys, the the most important name in this whole thing, and we haven't even said it yet, is Joel Embiid. Like that's the name that actually matters. But I'm sorry, go ahead. No, 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 certainly. And so Embiid obviously is is one of the guys that I think the Knicks have their eye on. We mentioned Ananobi earlier. As of, uh, I want to say late last week, I hadn't heard anything about Toronto even listening or, or taking calls on Ananobi. Uh, obviously, that can change uh, by the minute. But based on that, I would assume that they're keeping Ananobi uh, going into the season with him. But I think that's somebody that Knicks will continue to, to monitor. Zion Williamson, I mean, he, depending on how they do in New Orleans and his health, I'm sure he's going to be somebody they keep an eye on too. And so they'll, they'll have options because there are always options. And I think we've talked about Lillard and Harden. I just don't see them as the perfect fit for this club. So to me, it made sense for them. To again, wait it out a little bit, see what happens in Philly and elsewhere before they make that big trade. Let's talk about the power forward position real quickly. Um, Obi Toppin was traded to Indiana for two second round picks. A lot of disappointment among Knicks fans. Like, wait, we just, just we essentially just gave up on this guy. Like, we didn't even try to extend him at a favorable number. He generally plays pretty well when he plays. Obviously, he has a pretty hard minutes cap. Tibbs is just not going to play him and Randall together at the four and the five. That's fine. Tibbs has earned the benefit of the doubt with the work he's done with this team. Um, still, uh, it, it, the, you even hear people saying, like, is that just sort of a, a favor to Obi and CAA to get him to a place where he can play? That combined with Julius Randall shooting 37% in the playoffs, albeit with an ankle injury uh, in, in the second round. Um and in 15 career playoff games now, he's shooting 34%. And that's not a big sample size, I realize that. But Julius Randle's not young anymore. It's not R.J. Barrett, like, you know, trying to learn the bright lights, although he hadn't made the playoffs, Randle, before the Knicks. And it just looked, it looked the same, both playoff runs. Like, stagnant, inefficient, poor shot selection, like, just can't carry over the same oomph from the regular season against postseason defenses. Top and gone, Randall back, two years left on his contract, and then a player option at $32 million for 25-26. I, I don't know what to assume about that at, at this point, but that's not that far away. Like that's the that's the position of volatility on the team, I think. Can you take me through the top end trade and kind of just where things are with Randall? Right. So my understanding on top end was at the previous trade deadline, 2023 trade deadline, there were talks with Indiana. And I think that what held up those talks, at least my understanding was that the Knicks were seeking, you know, significant draft compensation in a deal for Toppin. I think Chris Duarte was a part of some iterations of those talks. Obviously they don't get to the finish line. Um, but I think that there were, there were people on all sides of it that felt that there was momentum towards getting it done. Knicks end of the day, I think wanted more, draft compensation than what Indiana wanted to offer. Now, so you fast forward to here and now, and they got two second round picks that project to be in the lower half of the second round, which is not great, not good at all. And uh, I just wonder about the process there with Toppin. I think that there was a scenario all along coming into this offseason where if there was no moves made that cleared up 
an opportunity for Toppin to have more minutes, a bigger role this coming season. I think the Knicks and he were always going to kind of work together to find him another home. And I think ultimately that's what happened here because the Knicks knew that that move to create minutes for him, to create a bigger path for him, was not going to happen. So they they found a home for him. I don't know if it's a favor. I, I don't know about the CAA aspect of it. I don't know how much that played into it, if at all. Uh, but he does. He's in a place where he should get more minutes. And now the Knicks are left with a hole behind Julius Randle. Now, one thing, Zach, with Randle, my my opinion, just looking at things, both playoff seasons, I thought that this past postseason, there were times where Randall just wasn't moving on defense, and I don't know why that was. That's a question that I'll have. I thought he, I thought he backslid on defense and on the boards, boxing out all regular season. I thought he did not achieve the same kind of form that he had in prior seasons. But the one thing about the postseason, the shooting was not good. But I thought he still moved the ball uh, relatively. That's fair. Well. And like, you know, compared to where he was that previous playoff appearance, I thought he continued to move the ball. He drew two. He got off of it, led to some good shots for the Knicks. So I just I wonder how much that ankle played into what we saw from Julius Randle because he heard it going into the playoffs, into that first round. He rushed back That's uh, right. for team two, I want to say he rushed back for of that Cleveland series. Then he heard it again. So I, I think that factored in. So I wouldn't necessarily say the book on Randall's playoff you know, ability is written. Absolutely I think not. Still, you know, chapters there. And I don't think there's a, a world right now where the Knicks would move Julius Randle. I mean, it would have to be for, you know, like an Embiid or a player like that that's going to change your franchise day one as soon as he steps in the building. That's fine. Julius Randle's a really good player, like really good. Um, I didn't have him on my All NBA team this year, but he's a really good player and a very good regular season player. And this team can absolutely afford to just sort of see what they have. And like part of what they have is um, players who have not hit their ceiling yet. Like Quentin Grimes, there's, it's not, it's not like written in stone that Quentin Grimes is just topped out already as this sort of three and D and catch and go guy. Like he might get better. He might make another leap. Barrett might make another leap. Deuce McBride is going to get chances. Uh, the core guys are all still pretty young. Like there's upside on, on a lot of these guys. Um, Quickly, I voted sixth man of the year over Malcolm Brogdon. Uh, was not the same guy in the playoffs. What happened and where do you think we go with extension talks? Because before the playoffs, it was like, oh, is he going to get four years, $115 million? Like, it's going to be a huge number. Playoffs are small sample size, but he just wasn't the same guy. He didn't get the same minutes and... Um, was a little disappointing, frankly, after a really great, a really good regular season. Yeah, he he did not play to that level or near that level that he had established in the regular season against Cleveland or Miami, and then he got hurt later in the Miami series. Did not come back. Uh, I think you know it's obvious to say this, but I think some of the coaches were uh, a little a little bit disappointed with his play. But I don't think in any way that impacts like the long term feelings between the Knicks and quickly. Uh, in terms of his future. Now, listen, I think with Dante DiVincenzo here uh, for four years, I think that that, whether it's Grimes or quickly or someone else who's kind of uh, backcourt slash can defend on the wing a little bit, I think it makes one of those players um, easier to move. But nonetheless, I would be su surprised if they didn't come to an agreement with quickly on an extension uh, whether it's you know 20, 20 million annually, 18 million annually, somewhere in that neighborhood. 
because they like quickly as a player and also because other teams will like quickly as a player. And if he's signed to that extension, I know you can't move him for a little bit, but then you, you can at least trade him for what his value is as opposed to trading him on his rookie deal and trying to match it up in an awkward way in, in a trade. Yeah, if he plays well next season and, and maybe like 90% as well as he did last season, let's say. Let's say last season is a little higher. I, I'm not, I'm, he could be better. At $20 million, that's going to be a contract that is easily movable. The way the cap the cap is going to be, it's 136 now. Could be all the way up to 146, 148 next year. Like That's not a huge, um, a huge number. I, on the backup power forward thing, I, maybe I'm just dumb, but I'm just not concerned. Like I'm not. I mean, I and I like Obi Toppin. He was one of my in my six most intriguing players column before last season. I think he's good. I think he always plays well when he starts and when he gets minutes. I think the jumper will come well enough that he can make open threes. And, so, and he's done that for entire months at a time. But like between. You know, Julius Randle will play some of the sort of benchy units when they have bench guys in because they stagger Brunson and Randle a lot. So one of them will be out there at times, at least. Um, and then like I, Hart, Barrett, those guys are all capable of playing small ball for, particularly against backups. Like I'm just not that concerned about that. What I am concerned about is the next time they make the playoffs, if it's another postseason where the offense just cannot produce because of a lack of shooting, a lack of creativity, a lack of whatever, like a complete dependence on Jalen Brunson. I mean, their offense in the playoffs was Brunson. When Brunson was off the floor, they had nothing. I, I it's just, it's again, it's only been three playoff series total in the Tibbs era, the Tibbs slash Randall era. But the offense just can't, if you're going to be a serious team, your offense cannot just fall off a cliff in the playoffs. And their model in the regular season was, Ball security, offensive rebounding, free throws makes up for kind of our shaky jump shooting, and it just hasn't worked in the playoffs. But the backup power forward spot, I just don't I, – I, again, I know fans are worried. I'm not worried. It doesn't matter to me. One thing on the backup four is if you're thinking of adding somebody, like I know there was talk about Isaiah Roby having a chance to earn that spot based on summer league and then whatever happens in training camp. But if you're adding somebody, you're going to a 10-man rotation and – Tom Thibodeau had really good success, in my opinion, probably saved his job, did save his job by going to a nine-man rotation last year when they were 10 and 13. That changed the season. Uh, so I think I can't see Thibodeau going to a 10-man rotation and adding a player like a Roby, let's say, just to have a backup four. I, I see it more likely that he works with Hart and Barrett and others to, to fill in that role that Toppin has left here. And when you talk about also the uh, – Zach, I just wanted to make this point quickly. The timeline for the Knicks in terms of adding somebody big. We talked about Julius's contract. Jalen Brunson um, has a player option, I believe, in 20 – Same year, 25-26. Yeah. 25-26, which he will turn down if he's playing anything like this. It's, you can put it in Sharpie now. He's not, he's not faxing in the paperwork on the player option. He's turning it down. <laughs> so, yeah, so – I look at that and I say, that's another big contract they're going to have to invest in. So to me, you have to acquire that second star before you put that big Brunson number on the books because you have them at such a team-friendly number right now. Just to talk about the shooting quickly. I know that people in there within the Knicks felt like we we need shooting. We have to add shooting uh, going into this offseason. DiVincenzo, great shooting season with the Warriors. 
Uh, if that could be replicated, uh, obviously that they would that would help the Knicks as a as a shooting club. But they didn't go out and, and add much else there from a shooting perspective. So that surprised me a little bit. I know that there was some interest in Max Struess, but I don't think that was ever a reality given where the Knicks were financially. I know some on the coaching staff like Bruce Brown a lot. Again, financials Ooh. they weren't going to compete with Indiana. Uh, so they weren't in, a, in an easy spot to add shooting, but it hadn't really been addressed in a significant way, although DiVincenzo did shoot it well last year. I, I think this team is in a, in a good position. Like, I know the offseason there were no fireworks. There was, you know, a couple sparklers, and that's really about it. But I, I, I think they're in a good position. They won't have, they're not slated to have cap room anytime soon, which is, which is fine. I mean, they're still very flexible with all these contracts and all these draft picks. Um and, and I think they're a good, solid team. Like, I, I think this is a – I think they've done mostly the right stuff being patient. And, you know, I said at the time that, I like, I'm – history will tell the story on not going all in for Donovan Mitchell, like all, all in. Right. I said at the time, like, I, I don't really dislike that decision. Like, I don't, I don't feel great about either outcome. But now I feel a lot better about it as a Knicks fan than I did, than I did then. Um, and they, they will – save their their stuff uh, to fight another day any other nick stuff that we hadn't haven't covered i think we nailed everything zach uh the one thing was evan fournier i i think look we talked about the how they value the contract there were some reports around the draft that they were in a rush to move it i didn't have that sense i, I had the sense that you did that they really value it and and they're not looking to just dump it to dump it um but at the same time can you bring him back to training camp after he said, after the final game of the season, that I'm going to be traded? You guys know I'm going to be traded when he was talking to reporters. Like, would you be surprised if I'm back? We'd all be surprised if he's back. And so are you going to bring Evan Fournier back to sit him out of the rotation just to find a better deal for him? That's one dynamic that I'm keeping an eye on. And the hard extension, I think it'll come in under the max of – 81 over four years, uh, maybe you know between 75 and 80, somewhere around there. And I, I assume that gets done in early August when he's eligible for that. And I think we covered it all, Zach. I'm not worried about bringing Evan Fournier back to camp. Ian Begley just does tremendous work covering the Knicks in the whole league for SNY. Watch the putback with Ian Begley, which I've been a guest on a couple of times. Hopefully he didn't kill your ratings. Uh, Ian, thanks for a little time. Um, uh, you look like you're about to broadcast the local news back in New York City. So go go do some street <laughs> reporting on a pedestrian struck by a, a bike delivery man over on Columbus Circle. Uh, Ian, thank you, sir. Getting ready for the 6 p.m., Zach. I appreciate you. Always great to talk with you. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand salamis, web gems with nothing. On your roof. So who's there up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, watch out for them. You name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call 1-800-DIRECTV or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Shopping for Mother's Day is usually a challenge because you wait until the last minute. Shame on you, by the way. But Macy's Gift Finder makes it incredibly fast and easy to find the right gift just in time for Mother's Day. Whether you're shopping for your sister's first Mother's Day or your fashionista mom who loves to make a statement, 
Macy's Gift Finder has so many great gift ideas, you can easily pick out something special to celebrate the both. You can shop by price anywhere from 25 bucks and under to 100 bucks and under. You can also sort by category like fragrance, handbags, more, or gift lists like for the mom who has everything, pre-wrapped gifts, gifts for grandma. You can find top brands like Studio Pro Model Beats headphones, Polaroid cameras, and Samsung Smart TV. So what are you waiting for? Mother's Day is May 12th. That's very soon. It'll be here before you know it. Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for your mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. All right. Another team that had kind of a quiet offseason that I've been trying to talk about, trying to find an excuse to talk about is the Pelicans. Uh, well, I shouldn't say quiet offseason. There's been some noise about the Pelicans off-court offseason. And then I saw, oh, no, Larry Nance Jr. is going to be stuck in Las Vegas for a long time watching his brother play and show out in Summer League. I bet I can rope him into talking about the Pelicans because you are like you might be the last NBA veteran standing in Las Vegas right now, Larry. I am definitely the last man standing, and I wouldn't say it's necessarily a title I'm proud to hold. Are you? Do you enjoy watching your brother, or do you get nervous watching your brother? Because this is these games are big for him. This is yeah. not like a summer league. Like, oh, he's going to get shut down. Like this, he's trying to make his NBA career right now. Right. Um, it's both. It's both. Like, I love watch. This is the coolest thing in the world, right? Like, for, he's seven years younger than me, and so, like, me and my sister were talking. She was out here earlier as well, and we were talking about how like. 14 year olds aren't allowed to be in the NBA summer league. Like, what are they doing? And it's like, no, he's full blown adult now. And, and it's just, um, you know, the, the, the emotions you watch so proud, just so happy for him. But at the same time, like I'm so much more nervous for his games than I am mine. Like my hands sweat watching his games and stuff. It's, it's uh it's a nerve wracking. You know that there were questions on Twitter about whether you were wearing your own Jersey to his game no because you wore a nance jersey yeah. and people were like wait is larry nance wearing a larry nance jersey to the game I'm like no 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 his brother is playing in the game <laughs> it would be kind of badass if a player just showed up in his own jersey it would not be maybe not badass it would be funny if like somebody showed up it would have to be the right player i'd have to find the right player to do it i'll get coos he'll do it yeah coos probably would, coos do would it. i think coos will do it how about coos getting paid i'm happy for him man i'm happy for him i'm at the point in my career where like it used to be I'd look at these contracts and be like, oh, man, I can't wait till I'm up and all this type of stuff. And it's just like now I'm sitting back and it's like, oh, good for you. Like good for squeeze every ounce of, of money you can out of this thing. Let me go through. So D'Lo, Kuz, Josh, Clarkson, you like is there still an old Lakers group chat? Like, hey, remember when we were. When we were like the future, and then all of us ended up on the Pelicans, except for Kuz. Uh, is there still like a group? Because like I remember, there were like, oh, look at the Lakers. Like this is kind of exciting. And Bi too. Sorry, mm-hmm. I forgot Bi. I forgot the the, right. the headliner. Like, is there is there still a group chat? Um, there's not. There's not. You know, that was a with so many young guys in that situation. It was um, it was more more fight each other for what you've got rather than. Uh, kumbaya um but you know now that we're all away now that we're all away from the organization onto our different things like i'm just so happy to see everybody everybody's success right like um another name for uh, zoe was out there as well that's right and so that the zubak was out there the talent we had amassed was and we knew it you'd look around the locker room and be like you have you have me julius and kuz at the four like what are, what Randall, are I forgot Randall too. Yes. Like it was a whole slew of dudes yes. uh, that have all moved on. Julius has now made two All NBA teams. Yes, 
and it's it's the coolest thing in the world getting to watch those guys because like um again we all have our specific niche and these guys like in LA you watched Julius start to create that you watch BI start to create that you watch Delo start to create it and it's just like you know seven years down the road it's like man it paid off it's really cool it was really cool to see and these guys are just um we don't talk as much as we should but I I mean everyone knows that I'm wish them the very best I make sure to tell them that all right so you you made a little news yesterday clapping back on a Zion <laughs> Williamson report that was the report was I heard not I Zach Lowe um, another reporter Zion's not working on his jumper on his floater on the touch shots you know he needs to to work on the stuff that Blake Griffin did and he's maybe not putting in the work I'm paraphrasing but that's essentially mm-hmm. what it was and you tweeted something back like that's actually not true. Like there, we can talk about other stuff with Zion, but he is working on that kind of stuff. And I, that I'm glad that's kind of why I decided to ping you because he's only played 29% of his games. Mm -hmm. I have never spent any time with him. I'm not sitting around the practice facility with him. So for a lot of us who are not around your team, he's kind of a black box. Like we don't actually know what he's doing. And then like there's this, the Instagram dunks will come out and everyone will be like, Oh, is he, should he be dunking? And like, I actually don't know what he's doing basketball wise. So like, Mm -hmm. what is he doing basketball wise? Um, he is, we've never seen anything like him. Right. And I think everyone can agree with that. So those one of ones do things differently than everybody else. Right. KD doesn't train how, Everybody else trains. Wemidyama is not going to train how everybody else trains, right? We've seen there are there are one of ones, and for Z, it so often takes a little while to learn how to do that, right? Like, how do you train someone that is six six and moves like move, literally moves through the lane like a wrecking ball? I don't know, and a lot of I think a lot of the answer is these trainers sometimes don't know as well um and that's it takes time to learn and so i think he's in a space now after you know talking to him and seeing um seeing him out here and 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 obviously like you said we've 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 heard a little bit of chatter uh, not about the nba but not in my that's not that's outside my area of no no me too um me too but like i think he's he's refocused and i think he's uh if i were allowed to bet i would bet he's gonna have a monster year truly but your point in that tweet was he actually is working on some of these skill elements yeah. of his game. That's that's accurate? Oh, it's very accurate. But it's very accurate. The the, the man's touch is probably the best in the in the NBA. You know, it's 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 insane. So um and his he's working on his threes, he's working on his jumpers, he's working on his mid range. But with all that being said, when he plays, right, we we've a you know, he's got things he he's his health, right? That's that's the issue, his health. But when he plays the man is a certified monster. So even if, like, he is working on that stuff, but if he wasn't, you still can't stop him. Yeah, we had a big, um, we, a few of us went out for, a, you know, just a Vegas dinner last night, all NBA people, and we're at, we just talk NBA, and mm-hmm. Zion came up, and we were talking about the draft, and, like, what would you have done if you were Griff at the draft? Like, would you, or, like, what would you do now? Would you trade Zion? Or, like, what's Zion's trade value? And I was like, honestly, I've, what here's exactly what I said. Mm-hmm. I said I don't trust Zion just availability wise, but I'd be afraid to trade him. Yeah. And they were like, "Wait a second, you don't trust him to be available, but you'd be afraid to trade him. Why?" And I was like, "He's one of the five best offensive players in the league when he's healthy. Like there's just nothing you can do with him mm-hmm. offensively." And I think 
I would still be, if I were theoretically running the Pelicans, I would still be afraid to trade him and see him figure out the stuff to make him available. And like, I'm going to live the rest of my life that I traded that dude. I think that's like another year from now, if he plays 25 games, Mm -hmm. obviously I'd be in a bad spot as the GM and I would have bet wrong, but that's where I am now. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I agree. He's, he's, you know, I, I often think I, I might like to get into front office work when I'm done. I think I've got a good mind and understanding of how the league works and, and some ideas to improve it. But at the same time, in, I put on my GM hat sometimes, and you look and it's like we were torching the league last year. I mean, there was nothing people could do. We were first in the West, and our margin of victory was very large. And it was him. We, hadn't, we didn't even really have BI on the court. And it was just this guy that was, was, uh, like I said, just wrecking balling through teams' defenses, taking over games in the fourth quarter. And he hasn't really gotten a whole lot of NBA experience. So he's, you know, again, if you can figure out all this stuff, you've got a top five player at 22 years old already. How do you, you know... I don't know what you do with that. I can hear people pushing back on top five offensive player in the league, and I truthfully didn't think it through. And you start Jokic, Curry, and you start with Durant, whatever. I don't think that's ridiculous, though. I don't think it's ridiculous to say no. now, and that's for sure like his ceiling is top two to three offensive player. Yes. Now, defense, he's got to figure out. But like, They all do. That's, but that's how good that dude is offensively. They, they all do. Nobody. I mean, come on. There's like... That's true. Let's be real. There's like two or three guys that's average, that score over 20 that play, that play defense. Really? You think that's true? Um, in the playoffs, exa- it's not true in the playoffs. No, it's not true in the playoffs. Yeah. But like, I was exaggerating a little bit. But yeah. like, you know what I mean. If if you are that, if you are that on offense, you know what? Let us shoulder some of your burden on defense. We got you. That's what I'm out there for to switch for you, so you don't have to. Last Zion question, because I don't want to make you the Zion spokesperson. I do. He did. He went on Gilbert Arenas's um, show this week, and he talked about his training and how he has faith in his you know ability to kind of mimic LeBron's stuff and then he talked about his diet and he was pretty candid he was like look it's hard man I'm like 21 I'm rich I'm in a great food city I'm traveling the country to the best restaurants like it's hard so again I don't know Zion so like very dumb question does he go out to dinner with his teammates mm-hmm. and when he orders food are you are, are the teammates trying to be like hey man like order this or this or this is there like do people get in his business like that so CJ and I do, um, CJ and I do as, as, as the vets on the team. Yeah. We, we, we take him to dinner and, and, you know, have dinners and talk about, you know, just like how hard it is to make it to the league. It's that much harder to stay right. And the things you've, the things, um, the, the, the example I use, right. Is like in relative, in, in the NBA terms, right. My man's got a Lamborghini. He's got a Lamborghini. That's what his body is, right? Me, I'm really happy in my in my, and I don't want to I don't want to make light of anybody of any car brand or anything. But I'm in my Kia in terms of NBAs, right? Eh, NBA eh. bodies. Look, I, you've had some pretty monster dunks in your career. One hundred percent. But look, you toss me the ball on offense, and I'm going to set a pick and roll. Like, I'm going to run into a ball screen. I, I'm not breaking people down and averaging 27 at 22 years okay, old. Okay, you know. I don't think I've I I don't think I've scored twenty seven in a game, so so I've, I'm in my, you know I'm in my Kia. I can put regular gas in my car every now and again, right? Okay. And it's not gonna and it's not nothing's gonna happen. You put regular gas in a Lamborghini, and it's not it no 
Okay. It's going to be, you know, it's going to choke out and it's not like it will not run for you. And, you know, there are certain things that you watch guys do that you can't do. Just like we sit there and watch you against Minnesota score our final 13 points and win us the game. I can train, I can work out for as long as I want and that ain't happening. So with the gifts you have, you have to sacrifice some. And he's so, he's so receptive to it, right? He's, he's, he's been incredible in, in, and he, the strides he's made since I've gotten to be with him has been remarkable, truly, but it just, we haven't seen it yet on court, on court perspective. And I think I would bet that this year, um, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I know we're in Vegas, so I'm gonna say I'm, I'm, I'm putting my, I'm going to sports book, and I'm, I'm betting on that kid. So there's a guy on your team that, when I talk to other front office people and coaches around the league, mm-hmm. we might start talking about Zion or Bi or you know how are they going to get under the tax or whatever CJ, you know what who should they trade? They have all these picks, and I find often the conversation steers back toward this guy, yeah, and his. And what I keep hearing about him is keep an eye on him because I think people think he's going to be a good role player and he might be better than that. And he might have like 20 plus point per game potential. And it's Trey Murphy, the third. So, so tell, yeah. So tell me about, and like, I'm, I'm actually softening it. Like I've heard people say he could actually be a star, like an all-star star star type player. I, I, I love Trey Murphy. I have not quite seen enough to go there yet, but I don't think that's ridiculous. So tell me about him. Um, uh, first of all, I, I can't stand Trey. Me and him don't get along. Um, <laughs> and you can tell him I said it. But, yeah, I, I, I tend to be in the camp of the people that say he is the capability of being a star. Um, obviously, I, I've, I've seen a lot of it. Um, like we said, I, Brandon when he was young, Julius when he was young, D'Angelo when he was young, around Zoe, around Kuz. I was in Cleveland when they drafted Darius Garland. I was in Cleveland when they drafted Evan Mobley. So, like, I've seen some really impressive young talent and the kind of person-slash-work ethic that leads to being a star. And I think that Trey, I think that Trey has the same ability. Um, obviously, like, his his intangible, his his – Physical attributes are off off the wall. The dude puts his head at the rim. He's a full blown six nine. Um, I didn't realize he was that tall. He's big, man. Yeah, yeah. He's he's uh he's tall, but um, his work ethic is, is is where it shines through. And him and him him and Corey Brewer and Teresa Witherspoon last year um, just really um, really made leaps and bounds with his with his game. And um, from the looks of it, and after talking to him, he's he's pushing for more this offseason. So. Um, I agree with you. I, I don't think, I don't think we're talking high level role player. I think um, we're talking potential second or third best player on a contending team. Like just based on the conversations I've had with front office people, and I'm not saying the Pelicans would do this or should do this, mm-hmm. but if they ever made it known that they would put him in a trade, like they could get into conversations for like mega names yeah. in the NBA. Now, not just him, but it would have to be other stuff. But I don't think they're going to do that because if they did, they would have done it by now and gotten a mega name. Like they're very high yes. on Trey Murphy the III. Um, you mentioned the Cavs. You left the Cavs when they were just starting to, to build this team. Mm-hmm. Uh, you left the Lakers early, got traded to the Cavs and made the finals, uh, lost the finals. Portland lasted a hot second, didn't work out. 
then Pelicans start storming the league, and then injuries destroy the team. Are you used to? Do you look back at the Cavs one particularly with like I can't believe, like you're a Cleveland guy. Yeah. You're you're a Cleveland guy. Like, yeah. do you look back at that like man, I would I would love to be a part of that. But now you're here, and it's like I would love to get this going. It just feels like you, you keep being on these teams with a great promise, mm-hmm. and are you starting to get like can we just have one season where like I get to be on the team that makes its promise come true? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, obviously, Cleveland was home for me, and and. Um, I I absolutely adore everybody in that organization. Truly, the people, the guys in the locker room, the guy, training staff, the weight staff, the front, from top to bottom. I, I adore everybody in that organization. Um, but it 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 was time. You know, they had just they just drafted Ev. Um, J they just J A just got a hundred mil. K Love was still on the roster, and so I'm looking at it like, you know, I. I understand. I get how the league works. These guys are, <laughs> these guys are got to play. Um, so going to Portland was supposed to be great, and it was quite the opposite. And started their started their potential rebuild, if that's what we're going to call it. And we'll see what happens this offseason, of course. But like, um, no, I, I'm like when we went to the finals with Braun, I don't believe I was ready as a player. Um, we had, I had just come from LA and and we hadn't really played a serious game out there. Um, and then getting thrust into that was 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 tough. Like those were serious serious basketball games and and me and me and JC didn't that wasn't what we'd been in our whole careers. So, um, but like three or four years ago, I was just like, man, I, I'm so ready. I'm so ready, and I can be so valuable for. Uh, a contending team like we look around like what Bruce did with the Nuggets what Draymond's done with the uh, with the Warriors when Brandon Clark before Brandon Clark tore his uh tore his ACL what he was doing with the Grizzlies like um even Grant with the with the Celtics Terrence Mann popped up in yeah in uh big minutes with the Clippers last year or two years ago and like there's becoming a mold of guys like myself like the kind of in-between height can play the small ball five can guard one through five that like finish games that are becoming so so valuable across the league, and I, um, I'm a little biased, but personally, I think I'm one of the very best of those, and uh, just haven't been fortunate enough to 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 be on teams where I can show it. But um, I think New Orleans, like I said, I'm 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 betting on Z, and I'm betting on us this year, and and I know when we're good. I'm a monster too. Every time someone reads off the stat of how many games CJ, BI, and Zion have played together <laughs> since CJ got there, I'm like, what? <laughs> like, I I know it's low, but it's yeah. like, oh my god! Like, you yeah. just haven't had your team at all. No, we haven't, and it's been tough. Like, the talent in the locker room is objectively it's so high. We haven't even mentioned Herb. Man, Herb is good. Herb, Herb, is- Herb's contract is it like what a win-win for everybody. Yes. Yes, and I, the, you know, like I just got through talking about being happy for everybody. That dude, especially, I'm so happy for him because that money he just got is going to buy him so much land in Alabama for him to fish, on, <laughs> for him to go fishing on. And it's just he's he's uh, he he works so hard and just is a is a great dude. And Herb's the man, but like our locker room is Jose Najee. Kyra, um, we just drafted Hawkins. EJ just got healthy. Um, I'm trying to think of like the guys we haven't talked about yet. Um, Dyson, shoot, Dyson looks great. Dyson Daniels, I was, I was, you know, he obviously faded a little bit do- toward the end of the season, mm-hmm. but 
if that kid can just make enough open threes, yeah. he's got the IQ, the size, the rebounding, coast mm-hmm. to coast. Like he's got, he's got a lot to his game yeah. to like. And Ho- has Jose, to the degree that you guys like ever actually practice and scrimmage anymore mm-hmm. in the NBA, has he ever gotten you with the? The crouching tiger hidden Alvarado <laughs> steal in the backcourt. No, no, he don't do that at practice because okay. I mean, come on now, you can't get us. We sit there and watch it on the sidelines constantly. You're not getting us. Um, but our, yeah, no, he, him, and Jose and Najee are like they raise the level of our practice three notches because they that how the hard they play in the game is if they're playing ones, if they're playing twos, threes, fours, fives. If we're playing at practice, that's what you're getting from them. Is it true that you and Josh Hart traded houses? Oh, yeah. You got traded for each other? Yeah, absolutely. So he took your house in Portland uh-huh. and you took his house in New Orleans? Yes. Do either of you own the houses or were they rental houses? We both owned them. Do you own them? Yeah, we both owned them. Yeah. Were you good tenants for each other? Did you leave like did you leave some some surprises around the house for Josh? Did he <laughs> did he leave any but did he do any damage to your house? Um no, it was it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Um it was a pretty good exchange. Um you know, we we were great. We were great. New Orleans made sure to leave it just how we found it, and you know he was he was the same way in Portland. Obviously, you know we have uh, we both have dogs, so dogs take their wear and tear. But no, it was it was uh, it was great. But at the same time, I I know both of us are very glad to be to be not doing that anymore. To be not tra- to be yeah to be to not be- he's not in my house. I'm right. not in his house. I sold that one in Portland, and and. You know, he's. I think he's working on the same thing in New Orleans, and we're just. You know, it's it's. Uh, that was probably more of a headache than it was worth. That happens more than people think in the NBA. Guys live in each other's houses. Does it? Yeah, there's been a I few examples. That. Joe Johnson did it once, I think. With I can't remember who it was. There's been a few. David Lee. I feel like David Lee mm. might have been involved with one at I, one point. I know uh, when Stephen and Jonas got traded for each other. Um, I I believe JV stayed in Stephen's house for a little bit. That's great because yeah. they're both such. It's got to be unpleasant to guard JV. Like it just like I I feel <laughs> like the centers who are just like on a back to back like I got to deal with this dude and hitting me the entire game and like smashing me like he's got he's not a modern I I, I have a soft spot for JV because yeah. he's not a modern center and early in his career it was like well we got to modernize him in all these different ways and then mid career was like you know what I'm just gonna get really good at yeah. the that I do and yeah he shoots like. Point eight threes a game now and can make them, yes. but like he stayed true to his soul as like I'm just an ass kicker and I'm mm. gonna maximize what I can do as an ass kicker. But man, guarding him's got to be a bear. He, he's it is it is because he. I mean, of course, you know, for the second half of my career so far, I've played a lot of center, and I'm look, the cat's out of the bag. I'm about six seven, right? I'm not I'm not that big, um, and so guarding these guys like JV just puts that big shoulder into you. Um, hit JV Sabonis. Um, Sabonis is the worst. He's he's so physical. Um, he's got the, he's got the elbows. He'll yes. hit you with the ball. It's the Lithuanians, man. Yeah. Those two those two go at when they play each other. I'll just sit there and watch and be like, I am so happy I'm not out there right now. <laughs> Like, please put Trey Lyles in, or please put uh, Metu, whoever you're, you're, let Keegan Murray slide to the five so I can go switch one through five and not have to deal with Sabonis' elbows and shoulders and JV and just, it's a whole mess. I'm going to read you a list of names. All of these people were on your team in your rookie year. I mean, this is like an NBA Mad Libs of just like guys. Yeah. Lou Williams. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are 900 Lou Williams stories. All of them amazing. Smoothest dude I ever met. 
In all facets of life, probably. In all facets of life. Was yeah. he in the dating two girls at the same time phase when he was on your team? Um, I do believe so, but I'm not uh I'm I'm not certain. I'm not certain. Nick Young. <laughs> yes. Kobe Bryant. Uh-huh. Meta World Peace. Roy Hibbert. Jordan Clarkson. That's a that's a cast of characters yes. all across the NBA spectrum of personality, accomplishment, everything. Pick a PG thirteen story about the R rated ones. We'll we'll leave. Mm-hmm. We we know about the Nick Young Gilo saga. We don't have to get into that. <laughs> Everyone I'm, knows I'm, about I'm that. Not getting into that. <laughs> um, pick a PG thirteen story about any of those guys that has stuck with you that maybe you haven't told before and lay it on me. Okay. Um, I know I told you I had one, but I another another one just popped into my mind. I'll make this one quick. Um, the first one is Roy Hibbert. Um, he was kind of my vet when I got in. Um, we both like video games and. And he was kind of who eased my transition in the NBA with understanding how to be a professional. Um, but I was in high school. I didn't go out or do anything. That wasn't really my thing. I worked out, played video games, and that was it. College, same thing. I didn't. I didn't party at all. I worked out, played video games, and and to be honest with you, played a lot of board games in college. Um, so I didn't go out and didn't really drink. That wasn't my thing. Like, what's the go-to board game? I need to give me two of the go-to oh, board games. Oh, you're not gonna know them. Like oh, full blown. Like I'm too old. Like no, like pieces, like miniatures, and like it, oh, okay. It, like it major Dungeons and Dragons. I, I, vibe. I thought we were um, gonna get like we had a really competitive categories night. On oh the Wyoming no. basketball team. No, like 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 Warhammer type. Okay. Again, Warhammer and like Heroescape type game. So real nerdy stuff, but that's what I was into. Okay. Um, and so I get to the league and Roy kept invite, you know, inviting me and my wife, then girlfriend, now wife. Um, like, hey, come to dinner with us here. Come come out with us here. Come here. And I was like, oh, no, thanks. No, thanks. I can't here. And so one time he finally goes, hey, I'm just going to let you know. This is the last invitation I send you before I officially like stop inviting you because you never come to anything. And that was like a wake up call for me where it was like, why am I, why am I not like these guys are my teammates, my friends, like I don't have to, I don't have to engage in debauchery to go out with them. Yeah. And so I started doing it and experiencing more and it's just, it's made me a whole lot closer with my teammates and, and, and made more friends in the NBA. So Roy is a lot, made a lot of who I am in the NBA. So I thank Roy for that. I think people were maybe like when I read all those names, it's a bunch of big personalities. Yes. And Roy, and but when you look back at Roy's career, like he became almost like an archetypal player for yes. about two or three years. Like yeah. everybody wanted a rim protector like Roy Hibbert. Mm-hmm. He was the verticality guy. Yeah, he still got a rule named after him. And it, and it yeah, and it like came and went like the game. I'm not gonna say passed him by, but it changed yeah. in a way that was bad for him. Like so fast. Mm-hmm. One day he'll sit down and give a really open and interesting interview about yeah. his time in the league, and it will be really interesting. No, it is true, because even like when he was in Indiana, I got drafted and was drafted as an undersized, I was a small power forward. Yeah. And then one year later, he was with me in, or he was with me in, uh, in L.A., and I started to close games at the five. And so it was within that little window where it was like, hey, this guy might be too small to play the four. But... The way the league's going, let's. It was Draymond. Draymond did all of it. He changed the league. We'll say Steph, obviously, but like Draymond changed that, and Draymond ruined it for a lot of bigs. And so, um, like it, it shifted in like six to eight months, and Roy was 
Roy was like coaching at Georgetown. <laughs> yeah, one hundred percent. It was like playing on a playing on a vet min in, in Charlotte. And it's like what? You were just the prototype. Yep. Is it happens fast. Man. All right, second story. Second story. Second story um is uh I'll I'll go with a Kobe story. I'll go with a Kobe story. And this one I haven't talked about a lot because it's been one of the worst nights of my life. Um best and then went to very worst. Um, but a lot of positive came out from it, and, and it leaves them in an un, in a great light. So, um, I first got my Twitter around 2010, I'd say. Um, so that was around sophomore, junior year of high school, and saying a lot of stupid things. And so I I, I had I had a tweet about Kobe that I I had forgotten about, got lost in the depths of time, until I got drafted to the Lakers. Um, so I hear my name called, my family's excited. We're just like, what is going on? I just got drafted to the NBA and by I'll, the Lakers, by the Lakers, the coolest thing in the world, best night of my life. And then I start getting these Twitter notifications, like the phone's blowing up. I don't worry about it. Like I just got drafted. They're just, you know, people happy for me. Um, it was not, it was people talking about this tweet and you can look the tweet up and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, it's, it's, um, you know, not something I'm proud of, but like the way it was about him and the way my stomach sank when I saw it, I don't think I'll ever feel something like that again because of all people. Like I grew up watching this man win championship after championship after championship and and, and the respect and admiration you had for him was just incredible. And on top of all that, the two guys, probably the two last guys in the NBA you did not want to piss off was him and KG were like the two, like do not piss them off. And I thought I had just ruined my career by this getting out there. And so I'm sick that night talking to management, how to hand, how to handle it. They send me his number and I, I just, I have it and I just go to sleep and I don't go to sleep, but I, I was up the whole night. So the next morning me and my wife decide, um, we're going to go get, we're going to get pedicures. So I, you know, just to take my mind off of it, would do whatever. So before we went in, I sent a text to him. He was on vacation and just was like, Mr. Bryant, you know, I'm, I'm just explaining, apologizing, you know, and saying anything I could to potentially get in grace um, again and left my phone in the car. We went, and, we went and got pedicures and I came back out to a text back. And it was just like, again, stomach in knots, like in the bathroom, like sick, sick, sick beyond belief. And get a text back, and it was just like, don't worry about it, water under the bridge, welcome to the family, can't wait to have you. And it was the sense of relief and deep appreciation I have for him. There's nothing anybody could ever say or show me or or anything that would take him out of the highest of highs in my mind because he could have ruined my career with the snap of a finger. Stopped me before I started. To be clear for listeners, the tweet was about the Denver sexual assault case, and uh, you can look it up. And Kobe, Kobe let it slide. Um, no, he was he was just so um, graceful about it, and and I just. There were t- times throughout the year where fans were yelling. I mean, one OKC fans were yelling at me. I was sitting next to him on the bench. And fans were yelling stuff about it. And he, like, 
you could tell I was I was trying to I was trying to shrivel up and die in the moment. And he just would tap me on the knee and be like, "I've heard people have called me worse, man. Don't worry about it." And just the grace he showed, I, he to me, he is. When I'm done playing, I will have one. I will have him to thank for my entire career because he could have ended it within a moment's notice. And um, I'm just so grateful for him and his presence and his 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 grace in the situation. You mentioned it, so I have to ask because anytime anyone mentions KG, I have to ask. I'm just like beyond fascinated by KG. Did you ever piss KG off? No, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. No, I was. He was another guy that I looked up to. I wore shoes in high school, but no, I. I, I I, uh, I, that was not, it's a good thing. You didn't yeah. tell him you tried to, did you try to tell him you looked up to him? Absolutely not. Have you heard the Joaquin yes. Noah story about that? Yes. Yeah. Like he does not receive opponent no. adulation. Like, no, I mean, I've got, I've got a Roy Hibbert story about that in KG, but, uh, that's weird. We said PG 13. So yes. I kept it PG 13, but yeah. yes, I've seen it. Yes. I've seen his, um, his, his, uh, opponent, how he handles opponents. Larry Nitz Jr., you got to go watch your brother. Uh, who are they playing today? They play the Bulls today. Yeah. Okay. All right. And how, what's their record? Is he going to, is he got uh, a couple more games left? I think they're 3 and 0. Oh. I think they're 3 and 0. The Cavs are cooking. The Cavs are cooking. And they got, they got this, they got the 6 11. They got 6 11 mixed kid that he's shooting it pretty well right now. Okay. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time. Good luck. Hope the Pelicans can stay healthy. We get a full season out of it or as close as we can, like, yes. see what this team actually is. Go watch a little bro, and uh, I'll see you around the block. Sounds good. Appreciate you having me on, man. For the ones who get it done, Granger offers high-quality supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as access to product specialists who have the knowledge and experience to answer your toughest questions. Plus, their commitment to being your safety partner can help you keep your facility safe and your people safer. Call or click Granger.com or just stop by. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's bring in Evan Wash. And I already forgot your title at the NBA. I'm going to guess. Senior Vice President of Basketball Operations and Referee Operations. None of that. What's your title? Executive Vice President, Basketball Strategy and Analytics. I, that's the same thing. You had basketball in there. That's good. It's the same thing. Yeah. Senior Vice President, Executive Vice President. It's the same thing. And one of the architects, if not the foremost architect of the new in-season tournament, NBA Cup, which was announced this week in Las Vegas. It was outlined uh, in depth. There will be six groups of five teams each, three Eastern Conference groups, three Western Conference groups, round robin. Everyone plays head-to-head games. Top winner of each group advances. That's six. Two second place finishers advance. That's eight. Quarterfinals, semifinals, and finals will be in Vegas in December. All the group games will be in November. It's called the NBA Cup. Are you excited? Are you happy with the response so far? There has been a lot of skepticism, and I feel like the skepticism is beginning to wane into 
eh, why not try it? Yeah, so first of all, thanks for having me on. Uh, and yes, very excited. Uh, many, many people put in a lot of effort to get us to this. So many architects at the league office, collaboration with teams, players association, network partners, like huge, huge, huge lift to get us here. Why is it exciting now? Uh, as you mentioned on, on Saturday here in Vegas, we had our official launch. So we had a, a show, uh, thanks to your colleagues uh, on ESPN with NBA Today, Malika, RJ hosting, uh, the last four number one picks from the, the NBA, Trey Young, Coach Kerr revealed the trophy for the tournament, the NBA Cup. I know you guys talked about that with, uh, with Kevin the other day. So yes, you can drink out of that if you want. Um, and we revealed the logo as well as the, the teams uh, for, in the groups for the group play portion. So a lot of energy. As you said, there's been some skepticism, but a huge piece of this was finding a format that addressed potential criticisms. And we think we've really landed the plane here in terms of something that's going to increase the quality of competition, create that secondary championship, but not be disruptive to the season. So as you said, there's not a whole lot of reason to be against it at this stage. We hope people have an open mind come November, December, and we think it's going to be fun. Okay. So Six groups. Yeah. You've divided. So three Eastern Conference groups, three Western Conference groups. So the finals will be East-West. Yes. You've divided the groups with sprinkling in different team records from the previous season. So a couple yes. of elite teams, a middle team, a bad, yeah. bad, poor record team from the previous season. And everyone plays head-to-head. So that's four games. Yep. Dumb question number one. If two teams finish three and one, is it just a head-to-head game that decides it? Correct. The order of tiebreakers for the group play is head-to-head first, followed by point differential, total points, and then prior season record. Okay. I like that. So it essentially follows a FIBA World Cup model of, uh, of tiebreakers. And similarly for the wild card spots, the seven and eight spots, uh, who are the two best teams, best record-wise, that did not win their group, how will that get decided? Because they will probably not have played head-to-head. They definitely will not have played head-to-head because they're in different groups. So that would go straight to point differential, total points, prior season record. So point differential, I did not know that that was part of it until right now. Was there there thought put into that? Because that then incentivizes me to, like, if I'm winning by 20, maybe to win by 28 and like not take my guys out as early yeah we spent a ton of time on on every element as you can imagine and this was one we we talked about quite a lot essentially what we were trying to do is keep the advancement calculations and scenarios contained to the group play so not bring in you know ideally in the first instance you know someone suggested we'll use the team's record to date in all the other games and now you'd say, well, but teams are going to have played a different number of games, different strength of schedule, maybe even you know significantly different home away balance. That wouldn't be fair. And you start to think about, well, what else could you look at that's contained to just these four group play games when the teams won't have played each other? The most natural thing to look at as a measure of the team's performance in the group play is what was their point difference, right? Obviously, that's incredibly predictive of record in the long run, but for four games, it can vary quite a lot. So yeah, you're going to get some scenarios where a team maybe needs to keep their foot on the gas in a game that they otherwise you know, wouldn't have, and that's an added excitement, right? Obviously, we all watch World Cup play in both soccer and basketball, and if a team is up, you know, the soccer team is up 2-0 in the World Cup in the last game, but needs to win by three to advance, they don't take their stars out. They go get that third goal because that's what you need to advance. So we, we expect to see some of that in our tournament as well. So my biggest worry, which now in retrospect feels like a dumb worry, was fans are not going to be able to understand that on this particular night when there are nine NBA regular season games, that games X, Y, and Z are also group play games for the in-season tournament. And it looks to me like you've addressed that by... The group play games are going to be on seven nights, I think. Yep. 
four Fridays and three Tuesdays or the other way around. It's essentially all the Tuesdays and Fridays in November. Just the one exception is election day where we, we don't play games at all. So it's the, you know, three remaining Tuesdays, the four remaining Fridays in November. And those will be what we call tournament nights. I'm glad you don't play games on election night because I, I, I tried I tried watching games on election night and I can't do it. I just can't do it. It's too stressful. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was just it aligned with our missions as well around. Uh, I can't be puking <laughs> and watching the Minnesota Timberwolves play the Brooklyn Nets. So on those seven dates. Yes. Are there only going to be group games? Yes. No other games. Correct. So those are those are going to be called tournament nights, and the only games played on those tournament nights will be group play games. And this was a big learning you guys you know mentioned with Kevin as well, um, the Commissioner's Cup in the WNBA, and so that was one of our testing grounds. Essentially, we also have in our G League something called the Showcase Cup that takes some elements of this model as well. So we had a chance to test these things and see how they played out. And one of the big learnings from the Commissioner's Cup and the W was that it became hard to follow because the Commissioner's Cup qualifier games or group play games essentially were just sprinkled within the calendar. And on any given night, there might be Commissioner's Cup games and non-Commissioner's Cup games. There's no you know, science to which days of the week they took place. And so that was a big learning. And in fact, this, this specific idea came from one of the players on our competition committee. Who? No, come on. You got to be fun. You got to be fun. It's a good idea. Credit the player. Kyle Lowry. Of course it was Kyle Lowry. It's always those point guards who are one step ahead. They don't pray. Kyle probably, I'm going to stop. So, I so, love so, Kyle. So, so Kyle talked about how, you know, when, a, when you, you look at a, a season and, for example, uh, you play a team three times and you've split the first two games, that third game. And, you know, Chris Paul talked about this as well on our committee. An- that, another another of the maniacal point guards who actually think about all the minutia and all the rules. They, they, yep, they, they are, you know, they are in this and obviously big, big helps in the All-Star game back in 2020 as we put the, the score target in as well. Oh, we're going to talk building, about the building, ending. building that energy. But anyway, they talked about how, you know, if you're playing that third matchup against a team that you've split the first two, that game takes on an added importance. It's not just a regular season game because now it also determines the tiebreaker between those two teams and so they suggested bringing in that element into the end season where if we know that every game on those Tuesdays and Fridays is these tournament nights then the team can follow that get up for it and the players can ultimately bring that you know that extra level level of them not to say that teams are not going 100 percent in the regular season but that additional i'll say i can say that i'm not saying that okay they, they, but they I are can. they every time they take the court they're competing to the best they can but i think that that extra adrenaline energy that comes with those nights we think will really differentiate them and to your point help fans follow it as well there have been people who have proposed like ways to even make this livelier one of the proposals like can we get a couple of the best international teams to come over uh, a G League all-star team, like all of these things, is are any of those feasible or are they just like too complicated? They're they're feasible. In in the, as I said, many years of conversations we've had around this, we went through a bunch of different iterations, one of which was a straight knockout tournament where you'd ideally want a field of 32 because that's a, you know, round, round number of two. And so you'd play a five-round tournament where you take a two-week break in the season, five rounds, crown a champion. That became a, an issue from a, a time off perspective. So teams that lose in the first round would have 11 days off. There was concerns with conditioning, competitive issues. So we moved away from that. But in a model like that, you would need to identify what other two, two teams are competing. So do you bring in you know, a EuroLeague champion and a CBA champion? Do you bring in G League teams? Obviously, it's a little odd because they're affiliated. And so 
you know, as a team sending a team player, assigning a player to the G League or calling up a G League player for their tournament game. So we, we haven't obviously put that into the initial format. But one of the things we talk about a lot with this is because it is new and because we're trying to establish a new tradition, it's very likely that we're going to see elements over time that we can change and improve. And so I wouldn't rule out the inclusion of other teams over time, but it's not part of the initial model. What was the wildest iteration of this that actually got discussed in com competition committee and or league office circles like the w absolute wildest one like let's have it in the in london or i don't know i don't even know yeah we let's have, have let's have it be games to 50 I, I don't even know what it would be yeah i mean i if you put all the individual pieces that we talked about together, it would get wild. There wasn't one wild idea, but if you said, oh, we're going to play it with score targets and we're going to play it as a knockout tournament and we're going to play it overseas with these additional teams to try to you know, build up fan bases in other countries, like you start to get to pretty different outcomes, but there wasn't one proposal where we said like, hey, here's an outside the box crazy idea because ultimately this was about finding a feasible solution for all of our stakeholders and by definition, something crazy probably wasn't going to meet the bill. Uh, are there, without necessarily naming names, are there still people on the competition committee or GMs, presidents of basketball operations, coaches that you hear from that are just like, I hate this. This is a bad idea. This is soccer. We're not soccer. No one's going to care about this. That has to still exist like in the ecosystem. Yeah, but I, I think we're at the point where about a year ago um, – when we started to really incorporate a lot of the feedback we were hearing, concerns about different iterations we had had, and found a way to essentially build it into the regular season, right? Every single game in this tournament is a regular season game with the exception of the one championship game. And when we started to talk about what we thought the long-term value potential of this tournament would be from a media perspective, from a gate perspective, a partnership perspective, it became harder for GMs, board of governors, players, coaches to disagree that this was worth trying. There are still, I imagine, many people who are not as bullish or optimistic as we are about it, but there's not, as, not nearly as many voices saying we shouldn't do this because it's really hard to find a reason why we shouldn't. So I'm not hearing anymore, this is a bad idea. I certainly hear people say, like, I'm, I don't think this is going to be the greatest thing ever, but they're open to it. And that's, I think, a big win. Uh, the winning team's players get 500000 a pop, yep. right? And the uh, runner-up, 200000 Yep. Um, over the years where this was in the in the discourse, there was lots of debates about, you know, oh, that's chump change to NBA players. They won't care. How else can we incentivize teams to really care about this? Some people even said, like, maybe you should get an extra draft pick. Maybe, like, maybe it should guarantee a playoff appearance was one of the wildest ideas that I heard Um how much consideration was given to those kinds of things? And are there other things like that that were discussed? So uh, I, I mentioned one thing that got a lot of discussion before. I think this area, in addition to the how do you deal with the schedule in the regular season piece, got the single most amount of attention is what is the payoff? And ultimately, why we've netted out where we are is that in the long term, we're trying to create something that has the potential to rival, you know, our playoffs and, and finals in terms of team and player perceived value. Not saying it's ever going to be the Larry O'Brien. We don't want that. But we want the maximum possible ceiling for this tournament so that it can be seen as a true secondary championship. The minute you tie it into our other season in some way, you essentially cap that ceiling. So, for example, if you give a playoff spot to the winner of this tournament, you have created another play-in tournament. 
that just takes place in December instead of in April. It also creates standings chaos if sure, in the middle right? of the There's a bunch season, of other weird things, yeah. but at the end of the day, you've created another stepping stone. And a stepping stone, by definition, is subservient to that end-of-season goal. And so we wanted something that could stand alone. The challenge with that is, of course, it creates more risk because there's no immediate intrinsic value that comes from something that doesn't tie into what we've already seen. But we're betting on our players, we're betting on our teams, and betting on ourselves to create the excitement, the energy, and the tradition around this that over time will allow us to achieve that maximum ceiling as opposed to just raising the floor but but capping the upside of this. And so, so I'm, 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 that's I, where we came out. I mentioned draft picks. I mentioned playoff spots. Like what other kind of incentives? Yeah, so we, we talked draft pick, uh, playoff spots, bonus wins, salary cap exceptions, you know, massive financial prizes wow. for teams. What, I, is a, what is a bonus win? Like um, the winner of the each winner, each knockout round counts as two regular season wins in the standings, for example. And the, and the championship game maybe counts as four regular season wins. And so you could leapfrog teams in the standings as a result of winning the in-season tournament. And again, in addition to having the issue I talked about before in terms of standing alone, that's also, we just felt a little gimmicky that like, wait, so one team's going to have 87 games in their standings because they got a four bonus win. It just, it didn't feel right. At some point, the fans have to be able to understand what's happening without, and, without, with like, I want to be, fans have to be able to like, I want to load one web page and read it yeah. for eight seconds and understand what's happening. And and we think we've gotten there, I man. Obviously, it's going to take a little bit of learning, but this is such a familiar format in, in other competitions, the idea of group stage and, and, you know, group play and knockout stage. And so, you know, our, our, the tagline we'll be using is third, all 30 compete, eight will advance and one will, one will be crown champion. And we think teams will get it and, and fans will get it. Sorry. Uh, pretty quickly. I've already said this on the low post podcast. I'm not just saying this because you're here now i think it's gonna work yep at the very least i think it's worth trying like no harm no foul i don't think teams are gonna change um playing time patterns in like the first couple of group games i don't think the celtics are gonna play like jason tatum 48 minutes to go one and oh in the group stage i don't even think maybe you believe that would have happened or want that to happen but i do think as we get closer it's going to, I think people are going to be like, oh, this is kind of exciting. And to me, just as a consumer, I think the group stage nights are, is, is the best part about it. That That's going to be very easy to consume and understand. Okay. Tonight's slate of games is all group games. They all count in a different setting too. I think that was, I think it's going to work. I'm not, as I said on my podcast, if I were a fan of like whatever team is playing in the semifinals, I don't think I'm going to feel like the same anxiety yeah. and pacing around the room as I would in the NBA finals, but it, it's going to be fun. But but not in year one, right? I mean, you know, go back 80 years, roughly, the, the first NBA finals. Did the teams and the fans of those teams feel that energy for the first ever NBA finals? Probably not, but the tradition was built over time, and now that's what we feel. And so this is not going to, it doesn't have to be a slam dunk in year one. We want it to grow. We want the energy and excitement to build. And I think we talk about play in tournament, for example there was focus on, well, what does that add, right? And at the end of the day, we actually got two separate benefits. The added excitement of the regular season, more teams in contention, more competitive matchups. And then we got the benefit of those single elimination do or die games in April, which are a great entree into the playoffs. I agree with you. I think the group play is going to be exciting and fun and maybe not in game one, but in game four when actual advancements on the line. But 
I'm equally excited about then coming here, like an NBA Final Four in Vegas with real stakes on the line, which we don't have at any neutral site competition. I think that's unique too. You know, I, I mentioned to some people like just around town this week, I've had multiple people who have no idea that I have anything to do with the in-season tournament ask me about the in-season tournament because we've plastered Vegas with signage to market that will be here in December. And it's, it's just exciting. So I think that is going to be, you know, one of the key benefits in addition to the group play. All right. So... We're in, we're now in your world of rules and gameplay and structure. So I'm mm. going to ask you some stuff, some some thinking about the game stuff, ideas that have been floated before. Okay, Great. we're going to go rapid fire. Okay, um, are you still doing one shot for all the free throw points in the G League? Like instead of a three shot foul, just one free throw worth three points. Yes, until the last two minutes. Until the last two minutes, because we don't want the strategy of uh, intentional fouling to. You know, the variability of zero versus two or zero versus three points to take over. So, yes. So, my now, my always colleague and technically former ESPN colleague, Jeff Van Gundy, who's the best. We love you, Jeff. Uh, got a lot of traction a couple weeks ago when he said, I don't even want any free throws yeah. to be shot in games. Just give them the points and move on. Clearly, that's probably never going to happen. But how is how is it worked in the G League? Do people like it? They do. Um, have, there, have, have there been, like, weird strategic tweaks because of it? Not really. I think one one of the things that we were focused on when we put it in the and again we we didn't put that particular rule in the G League necessarily for testing at the NBA level. It was to just increase pace and flow in the G League because it made sense for their product. But obviously, we have an eye on it as well. We were more focused on the impact on flow, on strategy, on shooting percentages, things like that. Uh, it turns out it didn't it didn't shave as much time off a game as we had projected. In part because players line up slower for the free throw when they know there's only one as opposed to two to, to catch their breath. Substitutions take a little bit longer when they can't be done between the first and second free throw. So there were some really good timing learnings for us. We actually had a, a GM meeting, you know, a year and a half ago, subcommittee of some GMs saying like, they actually, they, they were skeptics, but they like it. They like the strategic element of it. They like that you get back to action quicker. And all of our fan research shows that free throws are pretty far down the list of things that fans like to see in an NBA game. So I wouldn't rule out that we would consider something like that uh, in the NBA. I, I am certainly personally a proponent of it, but we're nowhere close to implementing that at the NBA level. Back when the in-season tournament and the play-in tournament began to kind of publicly come out as like, okay, these are things that are going to be proposed to the owners and the governors and all that. Another idea that has, I think, kind of vanished from that list was the notion of maybe reseeding the playoffs during the conference finals. I think the impetus for that, if I recall, was when the Warriors and the Rockets were clearly the two best teams and met in a hellacious conference finals and the finals were kind of a letdown. Has that kind of disappeared as the conferences have gotten balanced a little bit? That one to me is less about conference balance and more about what you're trying to accomplish with your playoffs, right? And there's a lot of conversation. Well, you, you always want your best two teams to play in the finals, right? Which if that's your goal, then you're saying you want a deterministic finals where the best two teams are always going to make it, which undermines the first three rounds of the finals uh, playoffs in the first place. And in many years, the perceived best two teams are not, in fact, the two teams with the best records. And so, yes, you mentioned those Warriors-Rockets years, but there were a bunch of years where, you know, the Cavs were perceived as the best team in the Eastern Conference, but didn't, in fact, have the best record. Toronto, Atlanta, you know, other examples. So it never, it, the, the sort of, the, the reality of a reseed never matched the perception of the benefit that you'd get from it. And you'd be adding in additional travel considerations of potentially, you know, long distance conference finals to go with long distance for the, finals. For the coastal teams, I had a couple of coastal yeah. teams call me and say, 
this is a blood issue for us. Yeah, we're, we're, ne- we're never gonna, and and similar similarly the one to sixteen conference yep. less seating where we just take all the teams and seat them one to sixteen. The coastal teams are like we're that we're going to the mat on that one. Yeah, so so I, I would say look a- after studying that one extensively, I think we we just ruled out um, that it was a, a net positive change for the league, and so it's it's not on the table. And I I have not heard anyone suggest that in the last few years. Open ended question: game format, scheduling, season structure. This is your life. You live this every day. What are a couple of like the absolute most out of the box ideas that you've heard that actually got, I don't want to say traction, but some level of, you know what, like, let's actually have a meeting about that and, or at least talk about it in the league office. Like just what, like would change how the sport looks and feels. Um, I'll give you a few in, in different categories. So rapid fire, we've talked about widening the court. So a, a 60 foot wide court instead of 50 foot, you know, players are faster, more explosive, stronger. The, the spacing of the game is different. Why are we constraining them to the 50 feet? Why are we crunching in the corners? What would, what would the game look like with 60 feet? Hard, hard to do with current arena infrastructure, but, but we, we fantasize about that, that possibility. Um, it's an interesting draft idea. Uh, a guy, guy on my team at the league office is very passionate about this named Connor Jennings uh, to, to borrow from the Japanese baseball draft, where instead of teams picking an order, teams place a name, essentially try to claim a player into a pot, and then you draw randomly among all the teams that placed a claim for that player. So, for example, in this, in this year with 14 lottery teams, all 14 could put in Wembenyama, and they'd all have a 1 in 14 chance of getting him. But one team could play game theory and say, you know what? I think the other 13 are going to put Wembenyama. I'm going to put Scoot, Scoot or Brandon Miller, and I'm then guaranteed to get that player because I'm the only one that put them in. But then if 10 teams had that thought, then all of a sudden there's only four putting Wembenyama, and they have a 1 in 4 chance. So it essentially turns the draft. I gotta be, I, Connor Jennings, I got to go out for some drinks with Connor it, Jennings. You'd enjoy it. It, it, tur- it basically turns the draft from like this nice linear thing to know, like a bowl of spaghetti, and it would just be messy and crazy. But um, it's an interesting one. So we're not, I don't think we're anywhere near that. And then uh, a third is actually I talked about this on a, a Sloan panel a few years back. To modify the season structure, you'd actually divide the season into segments. So say like eight segments of 10 games. And there, instead of wins, there'd be points available based on winning games, but they'd increase exponentially in each segment. So for example, your first win in a segment would be worth one point, but your 10th win in a segment would be worth five points, right? So it would scale up. So from a load management perspective, you'd want to play hard every single game, not just to earn that first point, but to give yourself a chance at going 10 and 0 to earn that maximum five point bonus oh, at the I've end. Oh, I've got to win incrementally to get up Correct. to that. So like okay. your first two wins are worth one, your next two win, three wins are worth two, so on and so on. And what happens between segments? We just, we, nothing? We just, nothing. Uh, it's just that at the end of the season, the playoff standings are based on the points, points, not the wins. And so you try every game to get those maximum points because it had eight segments or eight legs to it. We called it the octopus. Um, it, it got, Man. yeah, but you know, we, there would be a volcano of criticism if we ever tried to do any of these from some of our traditionalists. So most of those end up on the cutting and room floor. And the octopus, first of all, octopus is delicious. Second of all, um, did you ever see the documentary about the octopus? I did not. My octopus teacher. It won the Academy Award. It's about an octopus. I'm going to add it to my list. It's uh, about how smart octopi are. All right. Um, very, very smart. And my wife's reaction to it. Well, a lot of people had the reaction to it um, of, well, we, I don't want to eat octopus anymore because I didn't realize how smart it was. My wife said, I'm hungry. I want some more octopus. So it's delicious. And they're very smart. You should watch the movie. Uh, 
so the goal of it is this is all that's incentivizing more competition in the regular season, you know, more, more interest, randomness, just all, all sorts of stuff. But, but again, I, you know, I think between play-in and lottery changes and in season, I think we're pretty comfortable. I want to go back to the Connor Jennings spaghetti, put your name in the, yeah. put your name in the hat draft yeah, proposal. Yeah. And I want to jump off that. Like, um, the lottery odds have, we're about, what are we, five drafts into, five lotteries into the new revised odds? I think six. I think, six I think Zion was the first. That, so, that yeah. were designed to not, not, ran- yeah, maybe five not drafts, randomize so. it, but disincentivize being one of the very worst yes. teams in the league from a 25% chance at the number one pick to what did they 14. all have 14 now? Three, three top, um, the bottom three teams all have 14. And there's been some years where there's been jumping around and some years where you're reminded, actually, you know, the 14% chance is still significant. Like mm-hmm. you, you have a floor, the lowest you can fall is five. If you're, if, the, if you're the worst team. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Um, and you still have a much better chance at finishing in the top three. Has that done? Has that done? Is that combined with the play in tournament? Are we at a place of competition that the league is happy with or could there be further tweaks in one direction or the there, other there could be i so lottery reform obviously came in first playing got added after they work really nicely in concert because on the one hand there's no incentive to race to the bottom right you, to your point yes you might want to be near the bottom but you don't have to be just the worst uh because there's no incremental or material incremental benefit yes you can be fifth instead in of fact sixth, and, and i wrote about this when the reform came what we've really seen is the teams that sense an opportunity like portland has done in yeah. the last couple of years like oh can we get from nine to five right or and, something and, and like so that. and so I'll, I'll get there right and so so the lottery piece took away that race to the bottom the play-in bought brought more teams into the fold for the playoffs the last two seasons we've had a record number of teams in contention for playoff spots it late into the season, you know, with, with a week and a half, two weeks left, 26 teams in contention this year, 25 last year. Can't count Dallas, though. Uh, well, I know you can't. I'll, but, I'll, but I'll get there. I mean, so, and so, so those two things in concert actually worked really nicely because if more teams are in the mix and there's no incentive to race to the bottom, you get better competition. And we've seen that. But we still have this issue very targeted at the last few games where teams can still improve draft position, sometimes without sacrificing play-in positioning because obviously some of the play-in teams won't ultimately make the playoffs and will be in the lottery. So we've started to talk to the competition committee, like, should we be looking at different versions of a lottery that would modify that incentive? But it's such a narrow part of the season that we're talking about. So it doesn't need a wholesale reform. Um, I want you to clarify what that means, because I've heard that there's been discussions about somehow if not incentivizing teams, the the discussions about like the last 10 days of the season and, and how not ugly, but how teams try to start manipulating the standings or they give up because whatever. Um, is there a way to make those last five games more competitive across the board? Like, what would that actually be? Yeah, look, I mean, there, there's, a, there's a bunch of ways, um, again, some of which would probably fall in the too radical bucket. But like, as a very simple example, you could just say, we're not counting the last five games for lottery odds, for lottery standings. Like, Freeze just, the standings. Just like, yeah, and that, like, we actually did that, um, if you recall, in the bubble season so the the team you know we obviously we had to freeze for the eight teams that weren't going to the bubble they weren't going to be playing additional games but we couldn't have teams go to the bubble lose a bunch of games miss the playoffs and somehow leapfrog one of the teams that wasn't even there so we had to freeze their standings as well so you could do that right which maybe wouldn't create a huge incentive to win but certainly would you know remove the that targeting what you know like the the uh incentivize losing those last few games, manipulating the standing. So th- there are simpler things like that. Um, but again, now you're just moving the the bar, right? So maybe now you see the same behavior, but in game 77 instead of 82. So there's no, there's no obvious answer, but I think it'll be something we come back to in the next couple of years. 
Tell me about automated officiating and how far we're going to go in that direction in terms of technology making certain calls instead of the human referees. Yeah, so we are really excited about this. We announced a deal several months ago with Hawkeye, uh, who's going to become our, our player tracking and officiating partner starting next season. And the capability of that system is to capture what's called pose tracking. So 29 points on the body, uh, you know, joints, hands, head, et cetera, um, as well as the ball essentially in real time, like sub-second latency. And so when you have a system like that, in addition to having tremendous benefit from a broadcast perspective and team basketball analytics and hopefully injury prevention, because you can you know, look at biomechanical movement, there's real opportunity with automated officiating. So what that means in the early years is we can train that system to identify automatically some of our black and white plays like goaltending, out of bounds, you know, two versus three, did the ball hit the rim for a shot clock reset? And we'll start to deploy that next season. It's not, it's the system in the, in the early years is not going to be making the determinations. And so as a, as a first step, there will be a feed coming into the replay center. So if a goaltending is called, team, you know, coach challenges the play, referee goes to the replay center to review it. The referee sitting in the replay center will now have an additional tool to help them get to the answer, right? If it's hard to tell if it was one frame or before or after the apex, Hawkeye system can now guide that. Over time, you could then use that to actually determine the outcome of the challenge. So that what, what tennis used to do, right, at the US Open, for example, where lines person calls, makes the call, player challenges it, we go look at the screen, we see if the ball was in or out, right? System can do that in, in the long run. And then you could even go to the third step, which is what the US Open now has in tennis, where there are no lines people at all. And you're just calling those things directly in real time. So the buzzer goes off when a goaltending occurs or ball goes out of bounds. Jumbotron says, you know, blue, blue ball, right? Um, so those are opportunities. And then, of course, you get into the, well, what if you want to use it for, could, could you use it for fouls and travels and the more subjective calls? And now you start to get into a question of, well, are you training it on the rule set? Or are you training it on the way the game is called today? You know, Joe Borgia, one you know, former referee and, and uh, referee oper operations executive used to say, if you called the game exactly literally as it is in the rule book, you'd have what we call a basketball ballet where there's no contact, right? So you'd need to calibrate a system like that if you wanted to try to use it um, to, for, for those types of calls to map to the way we do call the game. But that's so far off and we expect that for as long as you and I will be watching basketball, we will probably have human officials making the more judgment-based calls. But theoretically, those those possibilities are out there. I forgot about one of my one of my pet issues. Will we ever go back to best of five in the first round? No. Oh, well, that was easy. Why? Why? Why five? I just like a, give me a little randomness. Give me a little. Oh, you, you know, didn't like you didn't like uh, an eight seed and a seven seed winning in seven. That's games true. Seven games they did win. We had two playing teams in the conference in finals. the conference finals. That's true. I just I. The playoffs are really long. Yeah. They're really, really long. We think we think volume is an asset for us. There's there's a lot of great basketball being played that's throughout true. the year. All right. And so, all right. so no, it's, it's, it's a no. That's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, have we not, have we missed anything about the play-in tournament that you think we should hit? In-season? I mean, the in-season tournament. Sorry, the play-in tournament. Is the play-in tournament set? Is this just the way it's going to be? Yeah. I mean, if there were ever a reason to change it we would certainly be open to that yeah. but it's working, it seems to be working there, to our, yeah it seems yeah. to be i think we would more likely visit revisit the kind of lottery pieces around play-in um and the you know the, the connection between the two but as for the play-in format itself i think we're in a good spot All right anything about the in-season tournament we missed no it's exciting i think it's going to be and it's the nba cup the, the 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 trophy is the nba cup yes 
And it's called the NBA Cup. No, it's called the NBA in-season tournament. NBA in-season tournament for the NBA Cup. Correct. Okay, so no sponsors yet. Nope. You know how I feel about that. Most of our big events are sponsored. I know. It's true. It helps, you know, get added promotion, visibility to these things. They, they activate against it. It's a good thing. All right. Evan Wash, wait a second. Executive Vice President of Basketball Strategy. And analytics. And analytics. So close. For the NBA. Thank you for your time. I know you've worked a long time to get this over the finish line. Now we get to see it work in real life. That's pretty exciting. I'm excited. Thank Thank, you. Thank you, sir. Thanks.